Well, good morning on this last Sunday in the season of Lent, this Palm Sunday as we enter into Holy Week. Um, And I have a little confession for you today. Um, I have grown to love the Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian. Is anybody anybody with me there? And I was so excited when season three came out last month. And if you're not familiar with it, The Mandalorian is a Star Wars spinoff that follows the uh, adventures of a Mandalorian mercenary named Din Djarin as he seeks to protect a young Jedi named Grogu, who we call Baby Yoda sometimes. And in the Star Wars galaxy, the Mandalorians are a clan-based culture of various species who are bound together by a common creed. And whenever a Mandalorian makes a hard moral decision based on that creed, they have a saying, you probably know what it is if you watch it, this is the way. This is the way. What does that mean for us as followers of Jesus when we make hard moral decisions? What does it mean for us to follow the way of Jesus? Today is Palm Sunday, the start of Holy Week. And we finish our series today, Welcome to the Story. And we've been looking at how the Exodus story from the Bible becomes our story when we trust in Jesus. We've been looking at how parts of the Exodus story are types or typologies that point to Jesus. And so far, we've looked at five different typologies from Exodus. And we started in chapter one by looking at our plight, and we saw that Israel's slavery in Egypt um, was a type. It was a, a picture of our slavery to sin, evil, and death. And then Pastor Kate talked about our deliverer from chapter six, and she showed us that, that just as God raised up Moses to be the deliverer of Israel, that Hebrews chapter 3 reveals that Moses was a type of Jesus. In chapter 12, we looked at our sacrifice, and we saw there that the Passover lamb of Exodus is a type for Christ's sacrifice for us as the lamb of God for our sins. In chapter 14, we saw that Israel's crossing of the Red Sea is a type for our baptism. And then last week in chapter 19 of Exodus, we saw that the people of Israel as a nation is a type for the people of God and that we are part of that people. And today we finish our series by talking about our way from Exodus chapter 20. This is the way of Jesus as we'll talk about today. So if you're able, would you stand for the reading of God's word from Exodus 20 and then from Mark chapter 12. Starting with Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children of the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. 
You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep, by keeping it holy. Six days you are to labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And then in Mark chapter 12, beginning in verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating and noticing Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked Jesus of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one answered Jesus is this, hear O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. You can be seated. In chapter 20 of Exodus, God gives Israel the Ten Commandments. And these commands form the foundation of the Sinai Covenant, the special agreement that God made with Israel that we talked at length about last week. This covenant turned Israel from being a people into being a nation. And as we saw last week, this covenant God made with Israel was a conditional covenant, a covenant of works. For the Sinai covenant to remain in force, Israel would have to keep all the stipulations of their side of this covenant. And I'm not going to go into depth on all 10 of these commandments. That's another series for another time. But let me just summarize them. The first commandment is about worshiping God alone. The second is about worshiping God in God's way. The third about honoring God's name. And then the fourth about keeping the Sabbath in order to have a day to worship God. So the first four commandments are all grouped about Israel's relationship with God as it relates to their worship. Then the last six commandments are all grouped around the moral boundaries that would form Israel's relationships with each other, how they treat each other. The fifth commandment about family relationships. The sixth, a prohibition against taking another human life unjustly or unlawfully. The seventh, about maintaining godly moral boundaries within their sexuality. The eighth, about not stealing. The ninth, about being truthful and honest. And finally, the tenth commandment, about controlling the inner urges that tempt people to break the first nine commandments in the first place. These ten commands form the foundation for Israel's covenant relationship with God at Sinai. So let's fast forward to our Mark reading. This event from Jesus' life in Mark chapter 12 takes place during 
Holy Week, just days after Palm Sunday. During Holy Week, Jesus went to the temple and debated with the religious leaders about a variety of different subjects. And during these debates, one of the experts of the law, we might call him a Jewish Bible scholar, was really impressed by Jesus' answers. And so this Bible scholar asked Jesus one of the burning questions of the day, of all of the commandments, which one is the most important? This was an ongoing debate among Bible scholars that centered around the Ten Commandments. Which of the ten is the most important? Is it the first one to keep God first? Is it the Sabbath commandment? Is it the Tenth Commandment? And Jesus' response here surprised everyone because he doesn't pick one of the ten. Instead, he quotes a well-known command from Deuteronomy 6.5, to love God with your whole self. And then he picks a relatively obscure command from Leviticus, chapter 19, to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says these two commands, Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18, are the most important of all of God's commands. All of the other commands, including the Ten Commandments, hinge on these two commands, love for God and love for others. Now, does that mean that the Ten Commandments aren't important anymore? What about all the other commands in the Bible? What exactly is Jesus saying here? So let me give you a brief overview from the Ten Commandments to the Great Commandment. So back to Exodus 20 again. The Ten Commandments are the written part of God's covenant with Sinai. And this is why the Ten Commandments are written on stone tablets and not on paper, papyrus. Because the two stone tablets represent a formal treaty, a formal covenant relationship between God and the nation of Israel. Now remember, we saw last week that the people of Israel have already been saved by grace through their faith. And we're reminded of this in our reading in Exodus 20 verse 2 when he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. They're already out of Egypt. They have been redeemed from their slavery. They have been set free by God's grace through their faith in God's promises. But the Ten Commandments now form the foundation of a different kind of relationship, the Sinai Covenant, a conditional covenant of works. As people, they're already saved, but as a nation among the nations, Israel is now dependent upon their obedience to the laws that they receive at Mount Sinai in the Sinai Covenant. Now, when all is said and done, the Sinai Covenant included more than 600 different laws, including these Ten Commandments. And you can find these laws in the book of Exodus, in the book of Leviticus, and in the book of Deuteronomy, all in the Old Testament part of the Bible. Now, many Jewish scholars and rabbis through the centuries have computed that the total number of laws in the Sinai Covenant was 613 laws. Now, I have not counted them personally, so I will take their word for it. 613 different laws, including these 10 that we read today. Some of them are commands, do this. Some are prohibitions, don't do this. And many of them are what we would call case laws. If this happens, here's what to do. And if this happens, here's what not to do. Case laws. 
Sometimes Christians divide these 613 laws into three broad categories. Moral laws, ceremonial laws, and civil laws. Moral laws deal with our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. The Ten Commandments are all moral laws. The Old Testament laws about sexuality or about how to treat the poor among us or honesty are all moral laws. Ceremonial laws are laws regarding the rituals and ceremonies of the Sinai Covenant. Ceremonial laws are laws like clean and unclean food that the people were allowed to eat or temple sacrifices or how to celebrate the various Jewish feasts, fasts, and festivals. And some ceremonial laws seem a little odd to us, like the law against not mixing two kinds of fabric in a piece of clothing or not eating certain kinds of fish. These ceremonial laws set Israel apart as being different and distinct from the other nations around them. And many of these ceremonial laws, especially the temple laws, pointed forward to Jesus. But then there were the civil laws, government laws about how to administer justice in Israel when they were a nation among the nations, and laws about inheritance and what to do if someone accidentally kills another person or kills someone in self-defense, what to do. God expected Israel to fully obey all of these laws, moral, civil, and ceremonial, in order to maintain their status as a nation among the nations. James 2.10 in the New Testament puts it this way, anyone who keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. The Sinai covenant was a conditional covenant of works. Now, by Jesus's day, the religious leaders had added even more laws to these 613 laws. These added laws were unwritten laws that were traditions associated with elders and rabbis. Centuries later, many of these unwritten laws would be written down in the Jewish Talmud and the Jewish Mishnah, which you can read today. In Jesus's day, there were hundreds of these traditions that the religious leaders insisted that the people of Israel keep and live by. And many of Jesus's disagreements with the religious leaders, especially the Pharisees back then, were about these traditions. Jesus fully obeyed all 613 laws of the Sinai covenant, but he did not feel the need to obey all of these traditions. And so when the religious leaders, for example, accused Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, it wasn't because he was breaking a Sabbath law from the Sinai covenant. It's because he was breaking one of these traditions that had been created about keeping the Sabbath. Jesus fulfilled the laws of the Sinai covenant so we could live by his way. He kept all 613 laws of the Sinai covenant. And by doing so, he did what no one else in Israel had ever been able to do. Jesus succeeded where every other person had failed. And by fulfilling all of the laws of the Sinai covenant, he fulfilled that covenant and rendered it obsolete. It finished its purpose in God's plan. Now, there are lots of verses in the Bible about this, hundreds of them, but let me give you just one passage that I think spells this out the clearest. It's from 1 Corinthians 
chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. And it says this, beginning in the middle of verse 20. To those under the law, I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. Verse 21, to those not having the law, I become like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I'm under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. Paul's describing his strategy for sharing the message of Jesus with different kinds of people. Some Jewish people who live under the law of the Sinai covenant, and some non-Jewish people who've never even heard of the law of the Sinai covenant. That's what the law in verse 20 refers to, the Sinai covenant. And Paul says that when he's around Jewish people, he lives in conformity with the laws of the Sinai covenant, not because he has to, but he wants to build a bridge to effectively share the message of Jesus with them. But he's clear in verse 20, I myself am not under the law. Even though Paul is Jewish, now that he's a follower of Jesus, he does not see himself as bound to obey the law of the Sinai covenant. He's not under obligation to these laws because he's no longer under the Sinai covenant. Now, some people have understood Paul as saying here that that means he has no moral boundaries. If he's not under the law, then he must be able to do whatever he wants to do. Throw out the Ten Commandments. Throw out moral boundaries about lying or cheating or sexual ethics. But that is not what Paul is saying here. Notice verse 21. I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. Paul may not be bound by the laws of the Sinai covenant, but he is bound by the law of Christ. He's not lawless. He lives under the law associated with Jesus. Christians are not bound to live by the laws of the Sinai covenant, but Christians are bound to live by Christ's law. As followers of Jesus, we are not under the law of Moses, but we are under the law of Christ. Jesus obeyed each and every one of those 613 laws of the Sinai covenant, fulfilling that covenant of works. And then he gave his followers a new way, his law, a way of grace. So what exactly is Christ's law? And how does Christ's law, his way, how does it relate to the Sinai covenant in places like the Ten Commandments? Well, here's a good starting point. Every law from the Sinai covenant that is reaffirmed by either Jesus or his apostles in the New Testament still applies to us as Christians as part of Christ's law. Jesus cites the command to love God from Deuteronomy 6.5. That means Deuteronomy 6.5 is part of the law of Christ. He cites the law to love your neighbor as yourself from Exodus 19. That means that Exodus 19 is part of Christ's law. But the laws that Jesus and the apostles do not reaffirm in the New Testament have been fulfilled and set aside. So we can assume that those laws have been set aside, that Jesus and his apostles did not reaffirm, that they were temporary for Israel. Most of the moral laws in the Sinai covenant are reaffirmed by Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. 
Jesus and the apostles reaffirm all 10 of the 10 commandments, in case you were wondering. But the New Testament does not reaffirm any of the ceremonial laws. It doesn't reaffirm any of Israel's civil laws. The foundation of the law of Christ is the great commandment to love God and to love other people. This is Christ's law. And when you think about it, loving God is a pretty good summary of the first four of the Ten Commandments. And loving our neighbors is a pretty good summary of the last six of the Ten Commandments. But Christ's law goes even further than the Ten Commandments ever went. For example, once Jesus was talking about the Sixth Commandment, you shall not murder. And Jesus said, it's not enough to merely refrain from murdering someone. That's good. Don't get me wrong. That's important. But living by the sixth commandment under Christ's law means dealing with our anger, refusing to allow resentment and unforgiveness to gain a foothold in our lives. Living by the sixth commandment under Christ's law means resisting the temptation to slander people to verbally abuse people with our words. Being true to the sixth commandment under Christ's law means restoring relationships instead of destroying them. Jesus takes the sixth commandment just as an example, further than the Mosaic laws ever did. But instead of giving us 600 more laws and then a bunch of traditions on top of it, God gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit to guide us. The Holy Spirit guides individuals and he guides the church in how to discern what love for God looks like and love for neighbors looks like in new situations. See, Christians don't have a Talmud or a Mishnah filled with case laws about how to love God and to love others in new situations. Instead, we have the New Testament, the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we have each other. And that will guide us in how to love God and how to love others. This is the law of Christ. So Christ's way is wholehearted love for God wholehearted love for God. In the Sinai covenant, the focus was on obedience. It was, after all, a covenant of works. Total obedience was required. And this is why the New Testament in Galatians 3.24 calls the Sinai covenant Israel's guardian or schoolmaster. For a guardian watches over a child until a child reaches maturity. For a child... Obedience is rewarded and disobedience is disciplined. But guardians, by their very nature, are temporary until a child reaches maturity. In the law of Christ, the theme and the emphasis is love, not just obedience. Now, don't get me wrong. Love and obedience, they they go together. Loving God involves obeying God. But if we're not obeying out of love, then we're not living by the law of Christ. This is the way of Christ. Wholehearted love for God. And Christ's way for us is sacrificial love. 
for other people. Loving neighbor as ourselves. Jesus puts love of God and love of neighbor. Notice he asked him which command, singular, is the greatest, and Jesus gives him two. You can't eliminate one or the other. Love for God and love for others goes hand in hand. And this isn't just love for people that we would already love, like our friends and our family. There are people who don't love God, but who love their friends and family fiercely. Christ's way of love includes love for people we wouldn't naturally love. People who are different than we are. People from different places. People who've harmed us. People who've hurt us. Even our enemies who wish us harm are our neighbors, according to the law of Christ. So through Jesus... The Exodus story has become our story. Exodus points to our plight, our deliverer, our sacrifice, our baptism, our people, and our way. And one of the reasons I like the Mandalorian series so much is because in the Star Wars galaxy, anyone can become a Mandalorian. It's not based on bloodlines. It's based on a common creed. And in many ways, that's similar to Jesus' church. Because the people of God is not based on bloodlines of whether you're, you're, you're Jewish or not Jewish, or where you were born. It's, it's not restricted just to certain classes of people, rich people or poor people, young people or old people. But it's based on a common creed centered around Jesus. And even in this last week's episode of The Mandalorian, the armorer, who's the wise leader who's been leading the people, says, we must walk the way together. And I thought, that is true of the church as well. We will only live the way of love, the way of Christ, when we live it together. We cannot walk the way of love God and loving others alone. Loving God and loving our neighbors is something we can only do as a community built together around a common creed. That's why we see that word love every time we come into the sanctuary here, because that's what we're called to love for God and love for our neighbor, the world that God has created. Because this is the way, the law of Christ, and we are called to walk it together. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these words of Scripture. And thank you for your love, for your redemption that has come to us through Jesus. That you have delivered us out of our slavery in the Egypt of sin, evil, and death. That you raised up Jesus as our deliverer, even as you raised up Moses. That the Lamb of God was sacrificed as our Passover Lamb. And that we pass from death to life, even as the people of Israel pass through the Red Sea, we pass through the waters of baptism to become part of your people called to live by the way of love. So we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord. We revel in your love that we might walk that way together. We pray these things in Christ's name.